1: All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Just the Tips. This is James P. Friel, super excited to have you guys here today. We got a real treat in store for you today. There are some people who have worked hard to get where they are, and then there are some people who have worked hard to get where they are and understand the meaning of hard work. And in just a minute, I'm going to introduce you to Trevor Chapman, who has gone from fishing salmon in streams in Alaska just to feed himself and his family, to uh, to making millions of dollars in less than ninety days. But before I get to Trevor, there is a bearded-faced man on the other side of the pond that I have to introduce to you today, Mr. Dean Holland. Welcome to the show. <laughs>
0: I don't think I'll ever get bored of that intro. (laughs) I don't think I will either. I think that's (laughs) why I got to keep doing it. On my face every time. Like I I often think when I open doors and walk in my house, that should be played. Like my (laughs) fiance, my fiance is just not doing the job properly.
1: You need to get Robin on the show. And I got (laughs) to show her. All right. Now, when Dean walks in, you've (laughs) got to play the trumpet. Because that's what he's expecting now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To my king. <laughs> that, that's right. You can't feel like the king of the castle if there's not <laughs> trumpet fanfare playing for you. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I'm excited for
0: this show. Uh, I cannot wait to hear uh, what Trevor's got to share with us today. It's going to be awesome.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I, I don't think it's out of line for me to announce Trevor Chapman. Welcome to the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, at
2: first I, I felt like I wasn't worthy to to enter in the show, but you've made that all up for me, man. I'm Dean, I'm with you. My wife is playing that each time I walk through the door as well. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> So, Dean, you're in England. I am. Yes. Well, awesome, brother. Yeah, that's great. I'm a I'm a bearded faced man as well myself right now. So we've got a lot in common.
0: Yes. Yeah, very much so. We have to be careful what we say around James because he actually <laughs> struggles to uh to grow. He's, he's follically challenged.
1: Uh, uh, oh, I see. I see. Few years, man. you missed missed it in an earlier episode trevor uh dean dean had some snide snarky remarks about (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the thickness, uh, of my beard. And I threatened to not play the fanfare trumpet for him. <laughs> he show if it continues. So he's, he's testing me. He's testing me. That's what's happening right now.
2: <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, dude, that's awesome, man. Dean, it's a, it's a pleasure to meet you. Cause I, you know, I chatted mostly with James and in the few words that we exchanged, I didn't realize that you were from across the pond as James says. Yeah, So, uh, yeah. it's
0: pretty awesome, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's awesome to connect and, uh, looking forward to, to hearing more next summer we're going to spend most of
2: the summer in our airstream in Europe. So we'll, okay. uh, swing over, man. I'll high five you and, uh, and park up in your yard. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. That'd be awesome.
1: He'll be like, uh, he's going to be like cousin Eddie on national lampoons vacation. <laughs> he's going to roll in with the airstream. He's like, Hey, can we, uh, can we just plug in here for a while? And- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll play the trumpets though, man. So it'll make you feel good. <laughs> yeah. You've- <laughs> you probably got your in there. That's all he's looking for is the trumpet validation in <laughs> the start of his day. Mm. And, you know, he's But he's, you know, you're going to have to, if you're committing to it, you got to realize what you're getting into. Like when he goes out in the morning to get the newspaper, there's going to be a trumpet obligation. <laughs> yeah. When he gets home from work, there's another trumpet obligation. So just like, be, be careful what you wish for. Trevor. Dude,
2: I'm prepared. I'll, I'll bring the real one, the real well, trumpet. And,
1: And and you know what, you know, Trevor, you've got five kids, so maybe each one of them can have a trumpet and it could be like a really do it in harmony,
2: man. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh my God. That's amazing. So Trevor, super cool to have you on the show today, man. Thanks guys. I, I just, I love your story. I can't wait for people to hear it. You know, you've, you've done some amazing things as an entrepreneur, but before we get to that, you know, and the, the businesses that you've created and, and, you know, your strategy for selling things at, you know, just such a grassroots and tactical level, I think there's so much that people can learn from that, but your work ethic and like what you consider hard work has a Real grounding in some some very early uh, years of your life. I imagine it really had to shape you as an entrepreneur. Am I right about that, dude? You're 100 percent correct. In fact, so much so
2: that I am probably considered one of those strict dads. You know, I I don't want my kids to grow up in the lap of luxury. I look around our neighborhood and I see that, and that's that's like my biggest concern as an adult is not allowing my kids. To not experience hard
1: work, yeah. Let's talk about what shaped the definition yeah. of hard work for you. So you've got super interesting background. Why, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's crazy interesting to hear about that.
2: Yeah, hundred percent. So I grew up on Guam. My dad was a scuba diving instructor. I was one of two white kids in my school, and uh, all that I wanted to do was be my dad's deckhand on the boat. And so everything I could. To be on the boat every day, as long as I could, was exactly what I did. You know, had a great time in Guam. Absolutely loved it. Crazy side fact. In 92, we had an earthquake rated 8.2 for 60 seconds. Oh, my God. And that was pretty crazy. We were on, yeah, the ninth floor of a 10-story building. Yeah. Anyway, long story short... When I was 12, we moved to Alaska. My dad had, you know, he was dream chasing. He went to school for music, grew up in the 70s, wanted to be a dive instructor. So then they moved out to Guam. And then uh, finally, you know, Alaska, the last frontier. And so uh, moved out there and he was a whale watching boat captain. And uh, I went to high school out there. And at the time, you never realize what you have, especially as a youth without you know the experience of being able to look back on your life because you're always in this present moment or you're longing for the next moment, right? When you're when you're young. And so I was consistently watching these, you know, teen shows and imagining what life would be like in high school in California. But it was to no avail. I spent my summers... Well, let me just rewind and I'll, and I'll, I'll share the story. A few months ago, we were at a family reunion my wife's family. And everyone was going over their least favorite chores late at night. And they're like, ah, mopping the floor, doing the dishes. And I was just like, dude, what what is this? That just sounds like a dream. And so I was like, guys, my, my least favorite chore... Was waking up every day before the sun came up, riding my bike to a river that the Forest Service banned people from fishing in because salmon were spawning in there. Riding my bike to that river so that I could catch quickly the entire family's limit of salmon, which was 36 salmon per day. By the time they're in the river, they don't bite. You have to snag them with a treble hook. Have you guys ever done that? Have you ever snagged fish with a treble hook? I have not. not. Okay. It's, it's not like regular fishing where you throw it out there, they bite, you reel them in nicely. When you take a treble hook that's large enough to puncture a fish and keep it on the lion, dude, that thing's massive. Cast it out there. You're just ripping it through the water. You snag one. It's a fight to bring them in. You know, the first day it was fun, but after a while, it just—it was just hard work. Bring them in, get back to my house, mind you, on my bike, and with
1: a uh, with like a what, like a bucket of thirty-six salmon. So I used to try, I used to try with
2: five-gallon buckets, and that didn't work. So I'd have a large expedition backpack on my front and on my back. So, I'd, I'd load them all up into this backpack. I'd bleed them on the spot, right, so that they wouldn't, they wouldn't all fester and get nasty. So I bleed them, but then when I get home, we lived along the side of a creek, gut them, and then fillet them because we would smoke them. It's funny because back then I thought we smoked them just because it tasted better, but I realize now we smoked them so we could make it through the winter. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, I had to finish that by two o'clock because at two o'clock I'd go down to the docks. We were in Sidka, Alaska. And I'd play my saxophone on the docks for the tourists because back then they had to line up to get back on the boat. So they had no place they could go. So they had to listen to me play. And uh, in retrospect, like I realized that, you know, we were a subsistence family. I had no clue at the time. I mean, obviously I realized during the summers, I was playing my saxophone, and my buddies were driving by in their trucks, like there was that experience of ah, oh, freak, why, you know, I should be in that truck playing with them. But it, it taught me a couple things, man. And one of the things that it recently taught me is the ability to simply own the situation, I could kind of look away, hope they didn't see me. But dude, everyone in school knew that I played my saxophone on the docks, you know, they all knew that I was a street musician trying to make money during the summers. And so I owned it. And I think that's kind of carried over into multiple things, both the work ethic of just having to get done. There was no option. You know, I couldn't say, Oh guys, can I please play video games today? It just, it was what it was. It had to happen. If it didn't happen, we there, there just was no, if it didn't happen, like that wasn't an option, but that's what we ate. That's how we paid the mortgage, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that severely shaped me that that is kind of the salmon story. So I grew up working just alongside my dad making money for the family. You know, dude, back then I'd make like 250 bucks in a day with my saxophone on good days. And, uh, yeah, that was real money. But, uh, you know, Alaska is crazy expensive Milk's like five bucks a gallon. So just enough to survive. I
1: want to like, if we weren't on a podcast, I would totally give you a fist bump right now. That's like, (laughs) (laughs) uh,
2: I got the audio version. Thanks, man.
1: Yeah, you got it. Definitely. (laughs) So man, that's an incredible story. You're you're right. Like that, there's no way that that doesn't shape your perception of hard work. Right. Right. Absolutely. No. way. Yeah. There's
2: no, it's not even a perception because when all of a sudden it just is what it is, like there was no option uh, you know, so I, I got it. I'll just fast forward. I got into door to door. And one of the things I would always tell the guys is I couldn't understand why some of them, they committed to knocking, why they would sit on the side of the curb. I couldn't fathom. I was like, guys, you decided to come out this summer and knock doors. Why is that even an option? If you don't commit, then you have the option of not doing the work. And when the option of not doing the work is there it's too much of a distraction. But if you completely decide and commit, you know, the side ends with side. Other things end with side. Homicide, suicide, right? And fantasy. It's the end of other options. It's over. And so when you decide, there is no option to just not do the work. And uh, I think that that is something that's kind of been lost in humanity. We used to do that. I mean, think back 100 generations ago. You know, it was all survival. There there was no option. You couldn't not feel good today and just sit inside, man. You had to kill the saber-toothed tiger and Protect the family, and we've slowly lost that. I think life's too easy; it's made us soft.
1: And that's what you're talking about—you know, making sure that your kids don't wind up like right. That you don't want them to be. Dude, if you have any tips, tell me because I'm failing right now.
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I gotta know how to do it. Like I try to get them to work, but life's just too easy.
1: You know? Yeah, I love that. You know, decide, and when you commit, there are no other options. Like that's that's just a tremendous, tremendously powerful place to come from. Like, how does this translate into the businesses that you've? You know, you've started, you've run, you've been bought out of some, you've been, you've left some, like all these different things. Like, how does that experience shape, you know, the entrepreneur that you've become today and that you're, you know, still on that journey and continuing to grow?
2: Yeah. So, first off, I'm incredibly grateful for that childhood. It was only years later that I recognized the value. You know, during the time growing up, I'd go to school and my classmate's name was written on the tongue of the shoe because we bought it at the thrift store and he wore them last year. And so when you're in that moment, you don't recognize how valuable these life skills are that you're learning. So only in retrospect years later do I recognize how much that has impacted my life. I remember, uh, so I got into door to door when I was in college because it was a good summer job. I could, you know, go make 20, 50, 80 grand during the summer and then not dur- work during the school year. But I wasn't made for school. So, it was always like way more of a struggle during the school year to sit there and I won't even get into that that whole section, especially if entrepreneurs are listening. They totally resonate. But I, I, I remember driving out one day, I had this ritual before I would knock doors and I would listen to either The Richest Man in Babylon, that book, because it just super motivated me. And I know that it's, you know, a Richest man in Babylon sounds, but it's it's incredible. Like, if people haven't read it, they've got to read that written way back in the day. Or I'd listen to Napoleon Hill. And mm-hmm. I think Napoleon Hill is a starting point for a lot of people that are becoming entrepreneurs because it's one of those common books,
1: right? And I remember can listening I, Can I stop you for just one second? Yeah. Why Why did you decide to start listening to those things? Like, what so, happened? So, if anyone has done door to door,
2: it really sucks. Like, it is not <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so, it's not enjoyable. And I knew that if I was going to be out there, two things had to happen. Number one, I had to do better than anybody else on the team. So just period. I could not internally, whether I don't know if it's like this male competition bone that's just in us or what it is but i i couldn't be second place i had to be first place in my first year there were people that had been doing this for four or five years and so i just had to put in all if they worked five hours i was on the doors for 10 hours six hours i was on the doors for 12 hours it was the only way that i knew i could give myself the advantage would be to hit a lot of averages if i hit a thousand doors and they hit a hundred they'd have to be really really better than me to get more sales. And then number two, I had to myself have a sense of fulfillment. And for me to be fulfilled, I had to be in a state that provided joy and happiness. So out of a desire to feel fulfilled and content, and then that uh, hand in hand to to dominate, to be the best in the group. I slowly found this ritual that worked for me. And what it was, was um, I would make sure I was in the car for about 45 minutes. So even if I was knocking a neighborhood next door, I'd find a route, take 45 minutes to get there. I'd throw on The Richest Man in Babylon. And I mean, I had that book memorized. But I threw it on because it gave me perspective. It helped me realize that knocking doors today was not my tomorrow. It was going to help shape my tomorrow because I fell victim to thoughts that everyone else does. And when I was knocking doors, my thoughts were... You are more than the life you're living. Like that is what consistently hit me over and over. And I had to fight that because if I allowed that to be stronger than my desire to utilize today to benefit tomorrow, then that day sucked and it just put me back. So I had to fight all that. Everyone has these thoughts that stop you from doing the work. This helped me overcome that. What I did every day, the same thing every single day, put me in states. It's like in the gladiator when he reaches down, grabs a stand, rubs it on his hand, and he's ready for the arena. This put me in my arena, listening to this book, stopping at the gas station, grabbing a Dr. Pepper, downing a five hour energy, slamming that door. And then, man, I was out there and there was no longer an option. I was completely tunnel visioned. I'd come across people on my team sitting on the curb or looking at their phones. And I couldn't comprehend in my mind because we understand their own perspective. And I'm like, why would I do that? And I wouldn't do it. And because I would never do that, it was hard for me to really understand. And so, you know, in retrospect, you understand why these guys hadn't fully committed, they weren't decided. I think that when life is too easy, we just we don't realize the value of each second. I was telling my son the other day, dude, if I had an entire day in the summer to do whatever I wanted growing up, that never happened. Wow, like that would have been incredible to choose my own day. Yeah, you know, like, and he gets that every single day. And so that's not valued because it's a it's not a commodity. It's you know, he has every day to choose what he wants to do.
1: Right. And so there's no
2: value to it. Did I answer that question?
1: Yeah, man. Absolutely. So, you know, you killed it in door knocking and you found out like, Hey, I can get myself in this state. I can be determined and committed. And with that, I can go and I can create some significant results. Like how did that sort of move into, you know, you had had a solar company and got that off the ground. So like, keep Keep taking us down this journey because I, for those of you guys that are listening, at least the point in time at which we're talking to Trevor right now, his journey is like he's dominating all things e-commerce, right? And we're Mm going to talk about that in a minute. And so that's where this is going. But I think it's really important. Uh, And frankly, I'm just sort of curious, how did you go from that door knocking to running a pretty significant solar company that I think you said Goldman Sachs even took a position in?
2: Yeah, absolutely. All Yeah, so I'll give you the background on that. Knocking doors, I go from rep to manager to starting my own company, and uh, it was my first company, and my, I learned a lot of lessons because it absolutely failed. The way my business card looked, the desk I sat in, the chair I had, I thought was more important than having my first customer. <laughs> Right. And so before I even had revenue, I had the bomb office, you know, like a Silicon Valley. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> that, that thing totally flopped. And it was in 2008. And so I lost tens of thousands of customers overnight. And I realized a few things. One, the business card means absolutely nothing. Like the desk I sit in means nothing. Like what matters is my revenue. What matters is my cash, my RMR. And not only that, the industry matters. Because pest control is an accessory. Money gets tight, people cancel it. So I said, how can I utilize my same skill set? And I've already got a full staff that knocks doors. How do I utilize this and transition into a necessity? So instead of an accessory, a necessity. And I identified smart homes and home security as what I wanted to get into. It had an RMR, recurring monthly revenue. You could sell it door to door it could be an impulse buy. And in my mind, if they had thermostats and door locks connected to the system, they wouldn't cancel. Who's going to cancel their thermostat? And uh, one thing led to another. And I was in California. I had a neighbor. It's actually the guy that started plastic, that card that just went bankrupt that people bought you know, $9 million worth. Right. Anyway, so yeah, he's my neighbor. And he came over one day knowing I was in security. He's like, hey, do you guys do access control? And I'm like, "Uh, the security kind of access control? He's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, man, we are, we're the best in Southern California. And he said, all right, swing by tomorrow and give me a quote. So I ran back to my office and I typed in Google, what is access control? (laughs) And called a bunch of companies, had them come out, found a company that would do it for the cheapest, you know, threw my company shirts on them. They went in, they looked at everything, did a bid. Came back at like five grand. I raised it to 15 grand, you know, and told them we were the best. And that's why we were far more expensive than anybody else, but they were going to get what they paid for. And uh, he signed up. That started like my transition from, you know, smart home security into commercial security and fire monitoring. And I loved it because companies by law have to have fire monitoring. And so it wasn't like, oh, does this feel good? You have to have it. You can't be insured. You can't have a business license. And so I found a necessity business that had longevity. Mm. I got super lucky. We you know, closed the Amazon.com fulfillment centers out there. I got Boeing contracts, uh, Matt Cosmetics, a bunch of different stuff. Long story short, as a family, we decided to move. My wife's from Utah. Uh, her family was here and we didn't plan on ever living in Utah. But when my son was in first grade out there in California, his school was shut down three times that year for other first graders bringing handguns to school. And my wife was like, we're we are not raising our family here. I was lucky enough to have someone to buy it. I felt like it was a huge win at the time. And I look back and it was, you know, very modest. I probably, in my naive, youthful time, I was probably taking advantage of a little bit. But that's totally fine because I I learned a lot of lessons through that. Came out to Utah, went through a series of security companies where I was, you know, either a partner or consulting. The coolest one was I was the only U.S., the only American to partner with Raphael, which is the Israeli government-owned entity that owns or controls the Iron Dome. You know, so when they shoot rockets over, the Iron Dome analyzes where they're going to land, they shoot it out of the air. It's the most sophisticated software on the planet, is what they say. And lucky, I partnered with an Israeli guy that I knew from security... He's a big deal. He's like a, he, He's got hero status in Israel. He was a unit commander of the special forces unit that saves other special forces units when they're in trouble. And uh, we brought that over here. Super fun. We're going to build the first smart city, like totally 1984 type stuff. I had mixed feelings about it, but um, I figured, hey, if it's going to happen anyway, so I should be involved. And uh, one thing led to another and uh, the Blink family that started Home Depot. Uh, one of the cousins bought that from us, lives in Park City. And that's when I made the transition to solar. I had seen how security had gone over the last decade and how it grew. And because of the RMR that the powerful situation that companies found themselves in when they had that recurring revenue in contract style, it's one thing if you give people a, you know, hey, no contract, here's a selling proposition, no contract, cancel whenever you want. Man, we were locking people into 60-month contracts. So I could spend 36 months of revenue to acquire a customer and still collect 24 months of revenue on the back end. Nice. And that 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 created yeah, just a great a great financial situation for the company. Saw that solar was an up and coming industry, saw that you could do a 20 year contract with solar. That was what attracted me to it was the 20 year contract. That was completely legit. And so started a solar company in Utah. Did not want to compete with the other guys that were knocking doors. I wanted to win when they won. Otherwise, each customer they got was a customer out of the market I would never get. So I said, we're going to install. That was the hard part. There was a million guys that could knock doors and sell it. The hard part was actually installing, the licensing, finding the funding, huge issue. And so that's where we made our stance. We became one of the largest installers in the region, uh, expanded into five different states. Goldman Sachs got involved. And when that happened, it was really cool at the time, but it slowly started to ruin things. The the ability to make decisions was handicapped. Things were taken out of our control. And what made us amazing to begin with was no longer an advantage. So I'll I'll fast forward to to e-com. You know, we're building that, we're growing. I walked by my marketing department one day, and they're like, "Hey, we need more money." And I, you know, they they were just a money drain, and we had no return on any of the campaigns they were doing. So I was like, "Okay, help me explain why you guys need money when you don't bring any money in." And they started to go through this explanation about SEO, PPC, SEM, why it's not their fault. And it hit me. I was like, "Dude, you guys are doing query based marketing. You're waiting for somebody to want what we have. It's like going to Amazon and typing toothbrush. I buy the highest quality at the lowest price. It's a race to the absolute bottom." provide absolutely everything the customer could want and give it to them for pennies. And we couldn't compete at that level. There were billion dollar companies who are offering solar far less than we were. And so I said, how do we go screen to screen online, how we go door to door in the real world? Because when we went door to door, we'd knock on a guy's door, stop him from slamming it in our face, get him to invite us in, And then over the course of a couple hours, pitch the proposition, give him an offer that was not just acceptable, but so incredible that he wouldn't sit there and contemplate it for days or weeks or run all these analyses. He would sign up for a 20 year contract on the spot. And that impulse But positive buy, I wanted to transition into online. And uh, I had already lost my passion for door-to-door. Literally, you can only do that for so long. I lost my passion for solar because of everything that was happening politically inside the company. And said, hey, this is a great way for me to uh, feel passion again. I read everything I could about e-com over about a week, launched a site, made a million bucks in 90 days, and said, This is how I can use my skill set. This is where I can transition from door-to-door sales installation, solar ski analyst. I can take that and go online. Because what I found was an arena where everybody that was in it was the same type of fighter. Because they had in college, they dropped out and they all jumped in and they all were doing the same thing. And so it was an arena of people with swords. And I had a whole bunch of other weapons because I had been outside that arena and you couldn't survive outside the arena with only swords, Mm. you know, to kind of illustrate it. And so I said, this, this is what I'm doing. And like my passion came surging back, my joy came surging back, you know, and I jumped in full time, built multiple companies and here soon we're going to have an announcement because this portfolio of online companies is being acquired which is a big deal. And I've told a few people about it because they, they're being acquired in less than a year. I got an e-comm November of last year. So it hasn't even been a year yet. This family office is buying a portfolio of companies. And we're doing a lot of fun things, man, from software to virtual summits to... Uh, we're just like ripping it up as much as we can. Did I rattle on for way too long?
1: <laughs> no, you, you didn't. But I know that uh, I know that Dean, is, uh, Dean has been waiting to say something. So I'll let him... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, no, that, I guess that wasn't Dean. <laughs> was <laughs> no, that was a good, I've, dude, that was amazing. I feel like I feel like I could just let you, uh, I, I want to have you back on the show so I could dig into some of this stuff more. <laughs>
2: dude, I, I used to be able to do Chewbacca, dude. I used to, I've lost that ability.
1: <laughs> dude, that was amazing. Did you ever charm anyone on the door-to-door circuit with a Chewbacca noise? <laughs>
2: dude actually i was on this i was on this blind date once and i did not want to be there and we were watching some show in the movie theater i was so bored i wasn't into this girl so in a moment of uh (laughs) thrill when there was sudden silence i looked up and i went (laughs) just like i don't know do anything anyway (laughs) side note but it was a fun it was a fun moment Things he was that totally embarrassed.
1: Know about Trevor Chapman <laughs> <your two-market> impression.
2: <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, that's amazing, man. So, so I feel like you know, with this virtual summit you've got coming up, I'm gonna attend just to hear more of what you have to say. Honestly, I love your attitude, man. You've got like just pinpoint focus that has created enormous results. And if you guys are listening to this show and you want a role model for how to just like bust through all sorts of bullshit and get what you right. want. Listen to this over and over and over and model this dude. And I'm not just saying that because like he's here right now. I plan on listening to this again and again. You're, you're amazing, dude. I love what That's
2: you. an honor, James. I appreciate that. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, so let's shift gears real, real quick here because I suspect a lot of people listening to this will want to hear more from you. You got this virtual summit coming up. Can you talk about that a little bit and what that's all about?
2: Yeah. So it's funny because industries become entrenched in themselves. They get rutted. And it's so funny, Jim Edwards, I was talking to him the other day and he said a rut is a coffin with no plug on both ends. And I I see in e-com that everyone's doing the same thing. Sure. You know, okay. So now there's messenger chat out there. How do we use that? But dude, it's still the same thing. And so I looked at it and uh, I said, how can we be disruptive and really make an impact especially for the people that want to get in? No other time has been like now we hear this all the time. And people get used to hearing how amazing this day and age is. But I think if you sit down and really consider that a thousand generations before you survived long enough, which was amazing back in the day, to have offspring that then beget your next predecessors, on and on and on, their collective lives, all of that history has culminated in this moment right now, which is entirely different than even last generation. Most of those lives looked very similar, rough, tough. Live, die, next guy comes on. But that entire history of humanity has now culminated in right now where I can literally talk with you through the air, man. Like this computer is plugged into power, that's it. There's no other cords. And bytes and zeros are running everywhere. They're surging through my body right now like they are yours. And we're conveying this information where we're able to share an experience that somebody else would have no clue about unless they happened to come across a book that somebody else happened to write thoroughly enough for someone to think, okay, yeah, good idea. I'm going to try and figure that out. Like you can completely curb that now. The learning experience can be slashed into a fraction of what it had to be. And so I saw in that there were a handful of events each year, that these events cost a lot of money, that people just starting out weren't likely willing to make that kind of investment to attend them. And so it was this incestuous pool of the same people, this old boys network that maybe, you know, somebody from some large corporation, maybe they would send a lower level employee to it once, you know, but that wasn't enough to really cause a change. And so I said, dude, there's been not a single virtual summit, not not one. And that that's something that happens fairly often now. So I said, we're going to hold the largest, most valuable information event that has ever occurred in e No pitches allowed, just gold. We're going to do it for free, and we're going to live stream it. We've got so many people, it's being live streamed for nine days straight. And it's just gold. <laughs> now, if people want to have access to it afterwards, then they can buy it. Super cheap, a couple hundred bucks. We split that with all the speakers, so it's a win-win for everybody. But that's what's happening. The largest information event in e-commerce in history September twenty first through the thirtieth.
1: Well, there you go. What do you think about that, Dean? <laughs> I'm pretty excited.
0: I'm uh I'm there. I'm all over this. Yeah, you, you can't tell that he's excited because he's British.
2: <laughs> no, dude, that's what I was I thinking promise. too, man. Like, well.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that was literally the height of my excitement ever. Like <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> you, like you'll get you probably get him a little bit more excited Trevor when you pull up in the airstream and you're I doing the trumpets trumpet. outside yeah. his
0: house. Oh, yeah, the moment I hear those trumpets, the flags are coming out, I'm going to be there. It's, it's going to be a <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's gonna be waving the Union Jack. He's gonna be wearing a cape. <laughs> no,
0: that's oh, that's
1: that's amazing, man. Uh, nine days straight of pure free gold is—you'd have to be crazy to miss it. I mean, I'm not—I'm uh, not really even in the e-commerce space, except for a few, uh, you know, a few small ventures I've got going on the side. But just the quality of the people that you have there and the pure gold that you guys plan on talking about—it'd be ridiculous to miss that. Where do people go to get registered for that? Or is, is there? Uh, yeah. Is there a place for that?
2: Yeah, ecomcon.com, E-C-O-M-M-C-O-N.com,
1: ecomcon.com. Awesome, love it. so awesome. Yeah, go go check that out, you guys. It's gonna be amazing. I I have probably like four pages of questions that I'd like to ask Trevor, but we don't have the time. So (laughs) like pick your top question or two for Trevor before we get going. And I think we're gonna have to have you on part two of this, man. Love to, man, love to.
0: Well, like questions aside, like, it's funny you say that because I've been sitting back here just listening and, and I'm thinking to myself, Trevor, you would be one of those guys that we should just sit around a campfire yeah. with saxophone in hand, salmon at <laughs> the side of us, just listening to your intriguing stories over and over again for like a good two, three days. I, I think that's what we need. I think it's time we bring the sax back and we sit down and we just listen to more. Let's do it, man. Hadrian's Wall, I've always wanted to uh, walk that. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Let's
1: line it up. I like it.
2: <laughs> Sweet, so man. Awesome, dude, man. Dude, you guys, you guys are awesome. Like I, you know, I heard about you guys through, uh, you know, the mastermind group, Russell's inner circle, and everyone was saying all this stuff about James and Dean. And I saw you post that up there. And I was like, dude, I've got to connect with these guys. <laughs> so thank you so much for chatting with me, you know, for letting me ramble on, I can be long winded. So thank you for that. And uh, for hosting this, these resources, these podcasts, and other information outlets that people have, they are changing history because people change history. And what changes people is the information that they can act upon. And you guys are responsible for that. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. So everything so- you say, Trevor, is just epic. <laughs> yeah. Like, I- Holy like, crap. crap. Like, <laughs> like I, I feel I'm not
1: worthy of a voice anymore. Like, literally... <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I feel like when you're talking with Trevor, you're just like mainlining gold.
0: Right? <laughs> like that's amazing. Yeah, you
1: know, it's it's truly uh it's truly been our pleasure to have you on the show, Trevor. For sure. Uh abs- absolutely. And yeah, we're we're gonna have you back on, man. Part two. We're gonna dig in some more of these tips that you've got. Cause we're just like, I don't even think skimming the surface actually describes how little of the depth we got into with you today. What I know you're uh you've you've got, you know, for years of you know, hard work and grit and making all these different deals happen and everything like that. Super exciting to uh get to know you a bit more today. And everybody who uh who's listening, get on your laptop or or your phone and go to ecomcon.com hook up with trevor on that virtual summit because this is a taste of what's to come you guys need to fasten your seatbelts five point harness style <laughs> uh, Going to be epic so uh dean any parting shots or are you good
0: no i'm good i um, i i tell you what though just one final thing we should definitely have you back trevor for like ecomcon the aftermath like Sweet. what yes. it took to put together this Sweet. epic event and then what happened and like the aftermath of it, that would be, epic. let's
1: do it. Let's do it guys. That's awesome. That's brilliant. Trevor, anything else before we go, man? No, again,
2: dude, I just want to reiterate, you know, how much I think you guys, because it was, it literally was things like this that helped open up my mind, uh, access to information, access to people. I was always like trying to find a mentor could never find someone in person. So it had to be virtual. And so it was, these outlets, you know, that you guys put out there as labors of love that help people, you know, on, on the most basic level. So thank you guys for this. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah. Thank well, you. Thank, yeah. Thank you for that. It's uh, it's, it's our treat to do this and we love it and we love having people like you on here. So, uh, all right, you guys, there's enough love fest for today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can only handle. I so emotional, Just knowing so much. this is to an end. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to get out of here. It's <laughs> getting too so, Uh, Anyway, thank you. Uh, Thank you to all listeners for tuning in today to another episode of Just the Tips. This is James P. Friel signing off with my lovely co-host, Dean Holland, and we will talk to you guys next time. Thanks for tuning in to Just the Tips, where we believe business should be profitable and fun. For show notes, links, and other information on our guests, visit justthetipsshow.com. For more information on how to connect with Dean Holland visit deanholland.com. And if you'd like to get free from the day-to-day operations of your business while making more money, visit me at jamespfreel.com forward slash autopilot. Our theme music is Happy Happy Game Show by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.